bomb from point blank range. You can't put it in the wind column. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour is underway on Flames Talk. It's a Friday, October 13th. It's Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's a Friday, which means it's the Eric Francis Hour. Eric Francis from Sportsnet with us in studio as well. Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. Live thoroughbred racing is back every Saturday and Sunday at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. Post time, 1245. Visit thehorses.com. Must be 18. Plus, please play responsibly. And look who the cat dragged in. Even just before he goes out on a five-game road trip with the Calgary Flames into Pittsburgh on Saturday, Eric Francis with us in studio right now. What's going on, buddy? Uh, you know what? It, it, people say this a lot in hockey, don't they? It's so good to get out on the road early for a yeah, team to bond and all <laughs> that. And it sounds like such a cliche. Uh, I think just even as someone who goes and covers it, it really gets your head in the game. You know, and I, so I am looking forward to this one. They're not sexy cities. What, I, think, what I, think, I think Pittsburgh's underrated. underrated I, I always spot. have a good time. In Pitt. I have a good time in a lot of the cities, but Pittsburgh, Washington, <laughs> no, you know, Columbus, Buffalo. One of my best friends lives in Buffalo, so that's kind of odd. Otherwise, people would be okay. like, Three days in Buffalo? Ooh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's right. Because you, they're they're, uh, they're staying they're staying there. Uh, they they fly there and they stay there for the two days before the game. So three days in Buffalo. Congratulations. What did I do to deserve that? No, it's going to be fine. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. And, and and hey, I think with this team, isn't it so interesting? Like we are all so fascinated to see what this team is. And I'm not sure we saw what we needed to see in the opening game to understand what this team's all about. Yeah, I uh I don't think that we if if you ask Ryan Huska, I don't think that we saw in the slightest what the Flames want to be. I, I think that he came away from that game. I thought it was fascinating to hear him talk post-game yeah. on Wednesday. He was not happy at I agree. all. Yeah. Like, Logan asked him, like, this uh, one that you'll remember, your first win. He's like, yeah, I'll remember it. I wish it was a better game. It's like, oh, okay. So this is that's pretty good uh, Pretty good indication of the what he thought about the way his group played, and yet they, they found a way to win a hockey game, right? Another thing that's going to be interesting to watch this year is we're so used to Daryl Sutter you know, spilling it out, his version of what happened in black and white, like very stark, and he had his approach. Ryan's approach is going to be much gentler and kinder. Kinder. Uh, one of the questions was asked about, hey, what did you see from Jonathan Huberdeau tonight? And you could tell that he thought Huberdeau was junk. But he he's not going to say that. He's not going to say, well, I think he wanted to take a, a crap. He's not going to... No, not, nobody he, would ever say that. No one would ever say, about? you're right. No, that'd be ridiculous. But he's <laughs> he he's going to be as diplomatic as he can, but he's also going to try and be as honest as he can. And I thought just by him, like the way he danced around that, it was so obvious that he did not he was not impressed in the least in the performance of Jonathan Huberto. Again, it's game one. I'm not sure he's mad at him or anything like that. But I I I'm really interested to see how this guy reacts all season long. When we ask him the obvious questions, the tough questions, and he's going to give us answers that we're not used to. And which I'm I'm looking forward to. The uh, it, it's it's funny we haven't seen a Flames team kind of spend as much time defending and spend as much time in their own zone like they did on the home opener 
uh, in a long time. They they spent a lot of time relying on Jacob Markstrom and a lot of time trying to get the puck out of their own net and bailing out water. That was a, and I know that's not how they want to look. It's just it's been a long time. It's like Bob Hartley years since I've seen the Flames look like they did on the uh, on on opening night. And I'm uh. So the high danger chances, you're probably well aware that was they were 15 to five according to Natural yes. Statric. You know that, and I don't look at a lot of analytics, but that's one I look at quite often. And and it was telling. I only looked at it because I'm like, wow, I bet that number is egregious. The other thing was I looked up immediately how many games it took last year for the Flames to allow 38 shots. Game 19. It wow, took hey. 19 games last year for them to have a game where they allowed 38 more or more shots, and that was against. Pittsburgh, the team they play on Saturday, and I remember that game. So, And I was going to look further and see how many times in the course of the year they allowed 38 shots. I bet you it's not more than five. So different different team, well, same team, different approach. My first question for Husk after the game was, this new defensive system of yours, was it just not working, this you know zone approach as opposed to man-to-man? And he said it wasn't. So much the zone that was the problem is just that we just kept giving the puck back to them. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'm, again, another thing to watch for on Saturday. You, uh, I'm just quickly seeing if I can uh, get you this answer as to when the last time, how many times, you want to know how many times they uh, gave up 38 shots last year? I bet it was three or four. Okay, let's see if I can quickly do this in about uh, 10 seconds. Oh, wow, you don't have to look it up. No, I'm, I, I will at some point. Yeah, because I, I had it on my screen you know. and I... I got to to the 19 game mark. I said, "Okay, there's my stat. It took 19 games." And then I started going and looking at the next, you know, say 15 or 20 games, and they didn't do it. So, it's this team's always been about look what we've seen the last two years: shot volume, shot volume, shot volume. And it was also became a bit of a criticism uh, for the team because they were all long range shots. They weren't dangerous shots. we're not talking right now about the shots for. We're talking about the shots against. And this team didn't allow a whole lot before. Yep. So this is this is an interesting development. And hey, talking to people yesterday at, at at the snow funeral. I mean, you know, afterwards there was a nice congregation, and everyone just started trying to get back to, you know, to exhaling and looking forward. And and all the talk was about the game. And of course, everyone was just talking about the game the night before and like, wow, they didn't look very good. Yep. But the thing I keep saying to everybody, and everyone said it the same thing. They were they outplayed teams so many times last year and didn't have anything to show for it. This was fair. It was fair that the better team didn't win la- uh, the other night. It <laughs> yeah, really it happened is. so many times yeah. last year the other way, right? Yeah. And and what was the difference? Goaltending. Yep. You know. Which which has to be the most encouraging part of 100%. what we saw. Like Jacob Marks, I know that I know that he let in the Kyle Connor goal and and. I don't think that's as bad as it looked just because of who shot it and what he was trying to do. Like Connor was aiming for exactly under the glove and he knew exactly what he's doing. That's a 40 goal scorer in this league. I, I thought Jacob was dialed in from puck drop and that didn't stop. And even if he wasn't happy with that one goal that tied at 1-1, it didn't phase him. It didn't rattle him. He was great in the second period. He was big in the third period when called upon. That was that was a really encouraging night for Jacob. If If, you know... If you take away the emotion of of the snows dropping the ceremonial puck and 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 the shot volume, the the number one story that night was Jacob Markstrom, and around the National Hockey League, that's the talking point. If if anyone's talking about the Flames, it's wow, Jacob Markstrom, 
Everyone knows he needs to bounce back. Yep. Everyone knows he probably will to some degree. And this is a shocking exclamation mark that he put on it. No, I shouldn't say it's shocking. It, it was an exclamation mark, especially since the Connor goal went in. And I think everybody in the Dome that gave the old Dome groan, I think everyone worried, oh boy, here we go again. Yep. But he didn't. Good on him. The, uh, the year that he has is maybe the most important. Like if you ask, if you ask me, and I don't think this is all that much of a hot take because you're probably in the exact same in the exact same ballpark. But we talk about Huberto, we talk about Manjapani, we talk about three or four other guys that need to have bounce back seasons. They could all have bounce back seasons, and they could still miss the playoffs if Jacob doesn't. Well, and what? and and that is that's why I came away from Wednesday saying, all right, that's exactly what you needed to see from your number one goaltender. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was interesting when somebody asked after the game to Markstrom about last year. And, yep. and, and it's, it's, it's a fair question to keep going back to last year, blah, blah, blah. And especially after the soft goal. And so they tried to put it as delicately as they could. But Jacob Markstrom doesn't suffer fools, and he sees right through it. And he said, you, you, you heard the clip. I don't look back to what happened last game, last week, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. It's all irrelevant. And honestly... I agree with him. After now that game one is over, I think it was a fair question after game one. I don't think it's a question that needs to be asked anymore about last year. He's going to get asked about it all around the league when he talks to media. But in this city, it's time to kind of cease and desist that and move forward. What was your uh, answer, by the way, in terms of how many times they gave up 38 or more shots last year? I would say that it was four. It was indeed four. Really? Yeah. Look at that. That was was just a gut feeling because it didn't happen very often. Like, was there might have been one or two games in the forties? Uh, there was one in the forties. That was in yeah. March. The game that that was Jacob's first shot and only shutout last year. Huh. The game in Minnesota. Remember the game where he stole that game and Jared Spurgeon scored in overtime and they called it back. That was Amazing. forty. And then uh, two thirty nines and a thirty eight. Here's an interesting theory. I'm just throwing this out. This just occurred to me. Markstrom has always seemed to play his best hockey when he has the highest shot volume, and it doesn't make sense. But some goalies will tell you that, you know, standing there and getting no shots just turns you cold yeah. and gets you out of the rhythm of the game. Maybe there's a good thing that they're allowing all these shots. I'm not going to subscribe to that theory, but isn't that an interesting stat that speaks to how he does seem to thrive when he's busiest? Well, and and the the year that he posted the nine shutouts and had his Vesna Trophy runner-up year was the only year that that didn't it like the, it didn't go that way. Okay. Cuz other cuz remember the the 21-22 season they didn't give up a lot of shots and Markstrom was was unbelievable that year. Yeah. But last year they gave up next to no shots and he really struggled. So and before coming to Calgary it was high shot volume, a lot of work in Vancouver and you're right, he really thrived on that. I'm I'm curious if that is something that we see a little bit this year and and if maybe that helps get Jacob to his uh level that he needs to be in the early going of the season. It's interesting you bring up that game in Minnesota because I will tell you that when I was writing the game story after the last game, I, I was saying, and I didn't put this in my column, but I was like, did, he did not steal a single game the previous year. But you're right, in Minnesota he did. The previous, I, I've never really thought of Markstrom as the guy who stole a lot of games. Yep. I know that that year he had nine shutouts. That's an incredible number, and he had an incredible year and finished second in the Vesna. But I, I've never really seen him as that guy who steals games. 
we watched a guy steal games here for 10 years or whatever it was yeah. in Mika Kippersop. Yeah. He stole games like no one I've ever watched it, you know, no one I've ever covered in my career. Um, this is not a goalie who generally steals games. He stole that game one. That was that was grand larceny for sure. And they, I, I agree. And they might need him to be at that level in the early stages because if they're working out some yep. of these kinks in yeah. there, they might need Jacob to be at at that level for them not to fall behind the eight ball here because it, it might take ten or fifteen games for them. To get comfortable. By the way, I don't want to veer off to where you no, go wherever where you, you want to go. Wanted to go but this is the Eric Francis hour. I really, really like that pairing of Zadorov and Uyghur. Yeah, I'm not sure we've seen that very often, have we? Over the years, I mean, at times everything's been a jumbled mess with injuries and missing Shillington and all this stuff. But if that's the way they want to go this year, and I don't see any reason why you wouldn't, uh, because they like that pairing of Hannafin Anderson. Yep, and and I think they want to protect Osterle by putting him with Tanev, that leaves Uyghur with Zadorov. I think everyone in this city is all for more minutes for Nikita Zadorov. He is one of their most exciting players. He's not only, you know, their biggest hitter, but he's also, he had 14 goals last year. Like, and he could be at a bit of an adventure. He can, he can but less and less so, less right? And less. He's becoming, it's becoming more uh, just exciting when he does it yeah. as opposed to uh-oh, what's going to happen here? I think he's I'm not saying he's just this is a new revelation, but he people really love that guy. And I think what he said about the uh, the war in Ukraine just upped his yep. a- appeal in the eyes of many fans and the guy's really colorful in a league that's very beige. Um I I I've always liked Nikita Zadorov as a uh, as a personality, but as a player, I think he's going to be a guy who we're going to be talking about a little bit more than we have in the past because he's not being buried on the third yeah. line. One, well, and, and he probably gets, because I'm with you 100% that he's exciting, and I don't know if when they acquired him on that free agency day a couple of years ago, you're like, okay, they, they got Nikita Zadorov. Uh, okay, RFA, they signed him to a one-year deal. All right. Uh, I don't know if we thought then that he would end up being one of their more exciting players, or the. I, I will say we interviewed him that day, and I was like, Oh boy, this guy's got some personality. Like, th- I bet this guy's gonna. People are gonna like this guy, and he's turned into one of their more popular players. I bet you'll see more and more sixteen Zadorov jerseys in the stands yeah. this year because uh, he talks. He's a team guy. He's always about protecting his teammates, and as you said, he's not afraid to like actually say something in a professional sports world that. Has has turned very beige. You're right. I remember covering Colorado. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, just before the pandemic, and I I was sent to go cover a series. Colorado was playing. God, were they playing San Jose? I, I don't remember who it was. And 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 he probably was, my, was San Jose. Yeah, it was the year was. after they beat Calgary. Yeah, yeah. They, he was my go-to guy. Like the series after they beat Calgary. Rather, nobody, nobody. You know, in those playoffs, you can't get near McKinnon. I mean, you can, but there's always a big scrum. I prefer talking to guys one-on-one. For sure. And so he was always a guy I could just go and sit down with, and I really enjoyed his company. I really enjoyed his answers. And I remember it was Gary McCarr, Kale's dad, who said, you guys are going to love Zadorov. He is one heck of a character, and Gary would have got to know him yeah. through his son. And uh, so, yeah, he hasn't disappointed in that front. So he's the last guy that gets brought up when we talk about unrestricted free agents. It's always Hannafin, Lindholm. Oh, and they also have Tanev to figure out. Oh, and who else? Oh, Zadorov too. Yeah. And and he is the last guy that we talk about. And yet, 
I think he might be the biggest slam dunk for me as to the guy that you'd want to, you know, resign. Regardless of what happens with Hannafin or Lindholm, I'd be looking to resign Zadorov. He's 28. He likes it here. Yeah, I'd 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 go and sign him to a four year deal at at a at a decent dollar figure right now. I I mean I don't think you have to give him much of a raise in terms of what he's at right now. I'd I'd be absolutely looking to bring him back. I, I'd agree with you when you say he'd be one of the biggest signings just because of his size. But I, I don't that you know the other guys are a little bit more. They're they're impactful. more for sure. I'm not. Let's not mince words on that. But I don't. I think he's the last guy that comes up. Because I don't think anybody's worried that he's not going to resign here. I, I, he does love it here. I really believe that he thinks coming here and with Daryl's Daryl's coaching and and with Huska as the defensive coach, yep. they really turned him into a, a much better defenseman. I really believe that, and he knows that, and he appreciates that, and he loves the city. His family's happy here. I there's no reason to believe that he's not going to sign here. I think that's why we don't talk about him. Nobody talks about Hannafin either. Because I think we all have resigned to the fact that he's gone. And and whatever, that's fine. But uh, the, that's why I don't think they come up. The Lindholm one comes up, A, because he's their best two-way forward. Also because he's well, he's he's a star. Yep. And so that's, and we also just don't have a and we read don't at all. No, yeah. we don't know. And that was the other point, yeah. he We don't know. And when I do radio in other cities, that's one of the first questions they want to ask. Like, that is going to be a big storyline all year long, of course. I, I don't know what to say anymore. Other than it's all in the numbers, I not. Do you believe him when he says he he'd like to be here and the hang up is the numbers, or do you think there's some hesitancy in coming back here? And the only way he'd come back here is if the numbers are overwhelmingly like I can't not sign this. Well, because that's the way I feel. It it kind of like we know there's a big deal on the table, and we know there has mm-hmm. been a significant offer on the table for what mm, since June or July. Like yeah. there's been money on the table, so. It leads me to believe that there, whether it's hesitancy or something wrong in their eyes with the contract on the table, some sort of sticking point. Yeah, it, it it's odd that we're hearing that he wants to stay here, and he say, "Yeah, I'm willing to stay." So, what does that mean? And and is that does that mean you need to raise the dollar figure a little bit? Does that mean that he's looking at I want nine and a half if nine's on the table? And I I this is a tough one to read, and and it's tough to get a ton of information on because. Both sides are keeping it pretty close to the vest, but it does feel like there's some sort of hesitancy there, which which gives me a little pause. It's why I still think signing him to a certain point is the way to go, but I wonder to myself, if you sign him, is, is this the place he really wants to be? I don't know if I can sit here and definitively say yes, no. whereas with Zadorov, no I think you can. 100%. I agree with all that. And yeah, it's it's fascinating. Did, did the two signings in Winnipeg, make you think, oh, maybe there's a better chance Lindholm or players like him, like, is this the new trend that guys are just like, ah, you know what? Better better stay where I know the situation as opposed to going out there like Johnny Gaudreau. Like, Johnny Gaudreau's story is a, is a cautionary tale for a lot of guys. The grass is not greener always. It can be. Matthew Kachuk is a great example. Yep. The grass is not always greener when you look at Johnny Gaudreau, if we injected some truth serum in Johnny Gaudreau and said, are you glad you did what you did? There's no way. (laughs) There's no way he says, yeah, are you kidding me? Columbus is everything I dreamt it to be. First of all, he never dreamt of going there. He fell into Columbus because it was one of the only places that was offering him the sort of money he wanted or was hoping for. 
Anyway, we're not revisiting the Johnny Gaudreau situation. I'm just thinking, when I see those two point, guys, though. when I see those two guys sign in Winnipeg, I thought immediately of Lindholm, and I'm like, huh? Does the dollar figure because it was lower than I think a lot of people thought? Does the dollar figure mean that maybe there's a better chance that Lindholm will come down to the the Flames number, or does this also make him realize more and more like other players? Ah, I'll just stay here and take the money. Well, it's it's fascinating because. Well, Shifley and Hellebuck have been with Winnipeg their entire careers, right? Mm. And so I think I I looked at that, it felt a lot like Michael Backlund. And I know that Backlund only signed two years and he's older, but it felt like, yeah, you know what? I did the pros and cons list and yeah. I, I really talked it over with my family and my partner. And, and when it comes down to it, it's like, yeah, Winnipeg's home. And yeah, I could go chase a cup elsewhere or I could try to go to a sunshine state or I could try to go to a big U.S. city, but Winnipeg's home. They're offering me money that I probably won't get elsewhere. I don't know how many people were going to be throwing seven years, seven years and eight yeah. and a half million at, yeah. at Connor Hellebuck, as good as a goaltender he is. And so I think both guys said to themselves, you know what? Pros outweigh the cons. Let's stay with the Jets. And and so that's what's going to need to happen for Lindholm. It happened with Backlund. And I'm curious if it does with Lindholm because do the pros outweigh the cons for him? He's not a he's not a lifetime flame. Oh, and he, he lived in a pretty nice place before. Yeah, right. He was in Raleigh. That's and- that's one of the biggest factors. Sorry to cut you off, but I, I that's one of the biggest factors to me. He's seen the greener grass. Now Carolina wasn't that great back then, and he was a young player just trying to find his way in the league. But I, I don't know. Like he he saw the lifestyle and how it's wow. warmer it is. And-, and you think that if he if he makes it to unrestricted free agency. Now Boston will be all over him, and yeah. two and three others like Again. Dallas will probably come calling. Like you've got teams that'll be like, "Hey, we're willing to give you seven years at what? It may not be seven times nine, but he'll get paid." And so I, it's why I wonder. Like, will the pros outweigh the cons for him? And if you're the Flames, how much? If if they have eight times nine on the table, how much higher should they be willing to go oh, to try to keep him? They can't go to a nine. But I think that's what it might take to get it done. But in free agency, he's looking at nine plus. You think? I think, yeah. I I, I think he could with the with the cap growing. What is it, four or five million? And anyway, I, I if I'm Lindholm, I don't sign. You'd uh, here. You'd go elsewhere. I, I don't want to sit because uh, I think this is a phenomenal you know city and a phenomenal organization and it's a classy organization. And all these other things, but I, I, man, I'd like to live in Florida. You know, and I think he thinks about these things too. And I also think that there are other organizations that may be starting from scratch and and maybe they could use him as a cornerstone to, to continue to build something. Anyway, I, I don't I shouldn't say that I wouldn't sign here. I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, but I what I would say that I understand the reasons yeah. why you're hesitant to stay here. Uh, and <coughs> you, you raise it that you know, everyone's connected him to Boston ever since Bergeron retired and and, and Krejci left and these agents talk to teams. No, they, tampering doesn't like, exist. I don't know what you're like, talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. They've canvassed, their agent would have canvassed all these potential places and said, hey, what are you thinking? I know it's a long ways away, but what are you thinking next summer? Because my client is kind of curious. Would you ever entertain? Do yep. you need a number one center? You know, that that sort of thing. So I, I've got a guy name rhymes with Schminschlom. Do you, do you think that, yeah, you could find a place for him? Yeah. Yeah, I... I it raises the question, like, if you're Craig Conroy, and he is, I think he's done a really, really good job of slow playing this and not getting kind of bullied around and, 
No, no. I agree. If we trade these guys, it's going to be on our terms and, and to our price. So when do you make that move? If you're if you're getting the feeling that, yeah, Elias is is not, he wants too much or he, he needs us to go to a certain point that we're not comfortable to go to to keep him here. Let's go. Let's go explore a trade. When do you start to do that? I think over your Christmas turkey. Yeah, I do. I think you go home, you take a couple days, and you're like, okay, here's where we are in the standings. Here's where our team is trending. You know, and 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 we're not making progress on this. We got to make a move. That that's where I think it is. Christmas. I don't think there's any need to do it before Christmas. And then if you decide at Christmas, we got to start exploring yeah. the possibility of a trade. Then it gives you lots of time to make that trade and really canvas the league and find out. And again, this all comes down to what I think the number one factor is, if in fact Lindholm is genuine in that he would stay here if the numbers were right. I think the start is crucial. I I, I think the first 25, all those games up until Christmas, I think can largely determine his fate. I really believe that. I, I, you know, if everything's going well here, he's their number one center. He knows he'll be the number one center for the next four, five, six years, whatever the case is. Why wouldn't you, you know, not why wouldn't you? We just outlined all the reasons why you'd consider leaving. But right. I, I think a, a, a nice, healthy start. There's a ton of Swedes here. He's very comfortable around them. I think, you know, I watched yesterday at the funeral. <clears throat> most of the Swedes were sitting together. They, they're like a mafia, right? They did, they're a great little gang. They would love to stick together. And he's he's tight with Markstrom. He's tight with Anderson. He's tight yep. with all those guys. I, I, I think uh, a good start here makes him go, yeah, you know what? Turns out we are pretty good still. They're on pace for uh, 82. Last I checked. If they... Wow. You're one of those w- numbers whizzes. Yeah. yeah. Big math guy. Anything mm-hmm. else that uh, I thought Mangiapane was great? I thought Coronado Is he, is he okay. staying on the top line? Well, he was at practice on Thursday, so they went oh, that yeah. way Thursday. <laughs> uh, it's it's weird. Like, they don't. Next week when I talk to you, we'll see. I don't know. Like, I. These they, lines are a massive work in progress, and maybe for for a month. I don't know. They they've got. I think they've got a couple pairings, like forward pairings. They like. I think they like. They're, they're trying to make Lindholm and Huberto work. They know Backlund and Coleman work, uh, and I think they want Kadri and Coronado to see if that's a yep, thing. I agree. And then they're plugging and playing everywhere else yep. right now. Like I, it really is a work in progress. Thought Rizicka was good the other night. I really yep. did. I liked him on the power play a lot. Yeah, he made a real nice player too. Uh, you and know, he I, was he was back on Kadri's line after centering the fourth line on Wednesday. Day. The next day, he's on Kadri's line, and Sharon right. Govich is centering the fourth line. Can we just have a brief word about Sharon Govich? Yeah. What have you thoughts? seen anything? Because all I see is a shadow of an NHLer. I've he, seen he is a ghost. He he is a yeah. timid, uh, meek. It's early, and I guess it's. But uh, he looks what uncomfortable do. for sure, doesn't he, he? He he does not. The first thing. I keep thinking about when I see him in a game is, and throughout preseason, you know, you give him a pass, but that first game, it's like, wow, I get it. I get why Jersey demoted him last year to a bottom, you know, to maybe to the third line. Yeah. And I get why they easily traded him. That trade happened very quickly. I get it. Why? I'm hoping that he proves us wrong because he did score what? 24 that one year. Like that shocks me. It, it, It shocks me to look at, but, but again, it shocks me to look at a guy like Huberto all last year and think that guy got 115 points. Yeah, I know. So, so guys are capable of upping their game, but I, I don't see it. He's not going to hit anybody. I think I looked it up. He's got like 72 hits in his career, so he's not a he's not a mucker and a grinder. Yeah. And the coach diplomatically says he's got to work a little harder at those battles. I see no battle in him. Yet. Yeah. He he seems timid. 
I think that's a good word. And he seems, uh, he just seems uncomfortable. Like he seems nervous and seems like he's lost a lot of his confidence from, from that year, his career year to where he is now. Seems like he is lacking all confidence right now, which is too bad. I've liked him on the PK. That's the one spot that I've been like, okay, yeah. there's there's a role for him there. Yeah, it's a but saving grace. At 3.1 million, you need more than just a guy who's going to kill penalties. They that's that's maybe the number one work in progress is where does Sharon Govich fit at this point? And oh. Dubé, same thing. Manchpani, same thing. There's a couple of others there. Rizicka. But I think when you figure out where Sharon Govich fits, it makes all those other pieces a little easier to plug and play as well. It's, dude, I'm, I'm hoping for the guy. He's really, really nice. He's a really nice young well, man. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I really do want good things for him. It's really tough because I think the obvious thing right now, because he's the weakest of all the forwards, I would say, like he doesn't offer much other than penalty killing, is uh, you want to put him on the third line. You can't put him on the fourth line. But he, he, third line, but then you're wrecking that great combo of Coleman and Backlund with a guy who's not really helping you defend defensively actually. And they always say that he's, if you watch him play, he's always the last forward into the zone. Yep. And he's the first forward back. So he's very defensive minded. So maybe, maybe that's where he fits on that checking line. I, I don't know. It's uh, the Eric Francis hour, Pat, Eric, along with you this hour of flames talk, the Eric Francis hour brought to you by horse racing, Alberta live thoroughbred racing is back every Saturday and Sunday at century downs, racetrack and casino post time, 1245 visit the horses.com must be 18 plus please play responsibly. Flames talk is live on Calgary's hockey station. Sportsnet 960. The fan. Eric Francis Hour continues on this Friday. It's on October 13th. Uh, Eric Francis from Sportsnet uh, with us just before the uh, team hits the road. You'll be on four of the five on this five-game road trip starting in Pittsburgh on Saturday. You've, uh, you, get to, you get to go see it, as, as you said last segment and, and, and earlier in the hour. Everybody talks about it. It's good to get on the road. But you know what? They played nine of ten at home to start last year. Maybe a five-game yeah. roadie to start this year. Remember the year they won the West? They had a five-game road trip, what, two games into the season, yeah. and they ended up going five for five on it. It kind of set the tone for the year to come. So I'm not saying they're going to go five for five here. That three and four to wrap it up with an afternoon game in Detroit to, to finish it off is a tough gauntlet. But yeah. you can go, you can put a pretty decent road trip together. I think it, it sets you up nicely for the rest of this calendar month. I agree. And it's not it's not exactly a murderer's row. I mean, Pittsburgh didn't make the playoffs last year. Washington didn't. Buffalo didn't. Columbus didn't. Yep. Detroit didn't. Five. I mean, if you're going to go on a road trip and, and, and really run the table, this is the kind of yep. road trip you could do that on. Uh, so that is where Eric's off to next. The Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. Uh, and then it was yesterday, Thursday, that uh, down, not down south, but southwest Calgary, for uh, Chris Snow's memorial, it was uh, kind of the we, we'd all been we'd all been waiting for this day, and it's been a, a really solemn few weeks around the Calgary Flames since we learned of what was happening with Chris, and then at uh, at St. Luke's that was a that was a really that was a really beautiful few hours, wasn't it? And and I know you were there. A lot of people watched it on that live stream. I watched the whole thing. It was. Uh, it was gut wrenching at times and and really tough at times, but it was also like the perfect memorial. It was a perfect celebration of life on Thursday afternoon, wasn't it? it really was, and it was. Uh, it's always heartening at these things to see the people who've 
traveled from out of town just to pay their respects. I mean, I, I, I really think that says a lot about human beings when they do that. And uh, we knew it was going to be a relative who's who of the hockey world. I wondered if the commissioner would be here, but he's a busy guy. And, you know, I, I thought full marks to Doug Risebrow. He flew in. Yep. Paul Charles, he was a, a scout with the Hitman 25 years ago. I know I used to know him. And, and he worked with Chris for like all those years in Minnesota. He came in. Uh, Brian Burke, Kevin Shavel day off. Uh, you know, he stayed after the Jets left. And I, 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 the list, you know, I did not expect to see Jerome McGinley. Jerome McGinley doesn't know Chris Snow that well, you know, but that, I thought that was really classy. And he literally flew in for it and flew right back out. Tree Living, we knew, was going to be one of the speakers. And, you know, he was come here and stay at his old house. And it was just really heartening. I even think Mark Spector and Jim Matheson, two writers from Edmonton, they they flew here to, you know, to pay their respects. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't know Chris that well, but I think it, it, it just speaks to his story just touched so many people that, that uh, he really was an incredible guy. And I think you walk out of a lot of funerals and think, geez, I got to be a better human being because these funerals are about talking about all the positives, positives, but this guy was an incredible human being. You know, I, I thought it was really interesting what Kelsey said. He carved a path where there was no path, mm-hmm. career-wise. And he also did it, in a way, when he battled ALS. Not many people decide, I'm going to take this and try and turn it into something good. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think in both cases, you know, going from a sports writer, I joked afterwards, like, he may go down in history as the only sports writer where any other, any executive <laughs> ever looked at him and said, Ah, the guy knows what he's talking about because yeah. <laughs> he turned himself from a sports writer who, uh, into into an executive. And I love the story. Listen, I, I think at funerals it's so important to have some levity because we all need it. We all need a laugh and a smile at those tough times. And I love the story from Brad Tree Living when he when he told the story about Conroy and Snow <laughs> so good going at it. And he say, you know, at the end of it, inevitably when they were butting heads on some player that they were arguing about, Conroy would say. You know, Chris, the problem is you just never played the yeah, game, you know so you what? don't you know. Did, you never played. You yeah. never played, so you don't know. You don't know. And and Chris would never skip a beat, according to Treaty. He'd say, yeah, the problem is you did play, and you still you don't still know. You still don't know. <laughs> and I just, man, did we ever need that laugh. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of smiles, uh, sitting in that crowd, you know, it was close to a 1,000 people. And I love that they put, Cohen's hockey team. It's the AA U13 North Stars team. Yep. And I know a lot of players on that team because our kids are the same age and played in the same baseball league and stuff. But that was, by the way, I thought that was a really cool uh, uh, video you put on Twitter about when with uh, Chris swinging for the fences oh, last summer. That, wow, was, that, isn't that was super neat. Yeah. And that neat to see. I've told the story. You but, have, but I'd never but, seen but the to video. See the video, it's way more powerful than yep. I could ever, you know, tell it. But, uh, they 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 were all wearing their gold. I don't know if you could see it on the live stream, but they were all wearing their gold team jerseys with Snowy Strong on the bottom. That's been on their jersey yeah. all year long. Yeah, or, to start the season, and it was on there. So all the players are there, and they're sitting right near the front, and right behind them, one row, two rows, three rows are all the Flames. And I just thought that was really really neat. And at the end, when the players walked out. All those kids lined up and got fist bumps and were so excited and high fiving each other because they sat with the flames and it was all about coming together and 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 kudos to everybody who showed up, but also everybody who's really supported the family, whether you gave money to the GoFundMe campaign or you just cheered like we all did and said, "Hey man, good on you, keep up the fight." 
Yesterday was a day we knew was coming. In the last four and a half years, you knew it was coming. Yep. You just hoped it would not come too soon. Four and a half years, a hell of a fight. And we all salute him for that. And I, I, I was I was so heartened by how brilliant the four speakers were. Yeah. They were all, I mean, obviously. They're all writers, I think. Except for Tree. I, I joke with Tree after. Who he, wrote Tree's speech? Yeah, Tree, that was, that was awful. No, I, Tree Living is a really good speaker. He really is. And I joke with him after, like, how does it feel to be the worst speaker up there today? Like, anyway, he was great. And, he was really But the good. other three are all clearly writers, incredible writers. I, I honestly couldn't believe that Kelsey was on the program. I, I, I could, but I couldn't. Yeah. I just, but I know that if I, she stayed. She stayed composed. She had the uh, wherewithal during like this, this incredible period of grieving and mourning to write that whole thing. I, I just, I was, I had to pause it a couple of times. I had yeah. to, I had to just kind of compose myself. I was like, this is like hard to let, and to see her get through it the way, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because that's been her this entire last yeah. four and a half She's a years. Rock, right? It's She's ridiculous. Yeah. It's I, yeah. I, it's hard to actually wrap your head around. But then at his memorial to be able to do that and to do it for twenty minutes or however long it was it was yeah. like again, gut wrenching, but like really powerful stuff. The most powerful moment to me was at the beginning of Kelsey's speech when Willa read a little something that obviously mom had helped her kind of cobble together. God bless her. And then, and then Cohen, Cohen yeah. stood up and, and he needed some convincing to a degree. Like, I think I, you could see Kelsey look and say, are you going to say what you want to say? And, and he didn't look like he was going to be able to do it at first. And then he stood up and all he said was he was my best friend. And, uh, you could see like all the flames players dabbing their eyes yeah. at that moment, because that just really hit home for a lot of us. And, yeah. You know, that was a, that was a significant moment. Yeah, it really was, and uh, it uh, it we we've you're right. Like we've been knowing this day is coming, and and this this stretch is coming for a long time, and we've known that the memorial was going to be the day after the the home opener for a little while, and yet it uh, it didn't dampen like being prepared for it and knowing it's coming. No, didn't uh, dampen the impact, and no. that's that's the the one. And and you know, I guess when I say that. Um, you shouldn't be surprised that Kelsey was able to go and, and deliver a 20-minute speech at her husband's funeral, you know, a week and a half or a week after he officially passed. Um, we shouldn't be surprised. Be, and, and we also shouldn't be surprised when she continues on, you know, pushing the narrative forward and, and pushing, the, uh, pushing the rock up the hill when it comes to ALS research and ALS uh, awareness and, like, I... The she you you know that she's just going to continue this thing that her and Chris started and and as as Tree said in his speech like she brought Chris to the world with her writing and with her podcast and everything and and now you just know that she's going to continue the legacy and the impact that that he made while while he was going through his four and a half year fight. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what's next for her. Um, you know, she she's going to need some time, I think, and. And then she's got to start to figure out what what she wants to do next. And I wouldn't be surprised if if she, I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything she does because yeah. she's so talented as a writer. But I, I don't, I don't. Maybe there's a spot for her with the organization. I'm sure the organization's probably thought about that and would love to have her involved in some way. If if it was maybe it's community outreach, whatever the case is, uh, she's done so much to bring this story in such a poignant way. Um, I I. 
I think it's great. And, you know, I love they pointed out that not only did his very public fight, uh, you know, advance in terms of uh, funding for, for the, to fight ALS yep. to make a cure, but, but also the drug that he took, you know, that they know that that works to some degree and they're going to keep trying to improve on that. Um, but also I, I always just think that they, they're worried about their own kids. And I, I love reading before she had written it. I think that they've been assured by doctors. Don't worry about that. By the time your kids are older, we will have this figured out. We were going to, we're going to beat this. And I, I love that optimism and that hope. And Chris brought optimism and hope every single day. Yep. And my God, um, how comforting it's got to be. Not only did he save four lives with his organ transplants, yep. but also how many lives is he going to prolong and or save with all he did uh, with his fight. So well, good on him. And, and just as, uh, as, as we wrap up the, the conversation about Chris and his memorial, the, the, um, you know, he brought a lot of uh, he brought a lot of inspiration, a lot of hope to other people who are personally dealing with ALS and and who are fighting it themselves and their families. But like, just think of you could be wife or husband or parent of some didn't have to be ALS cancer or or any other type of you know really difficult fight that you're in. And just the way he went about it, I think it probably inspired. All the people directly affected by ALS and then millions of others who are fighting other things. You just see a guy who continues to go about his business the way he did. Like when, when Wes a couple of weeks ago paused and said, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating this because, you know, we use in this stupid industry, we use hyperbole all the time. It's like he said, this guy literally inspired millions of people and and the snow story inspired millions of people. it's true like it, it was millions that that he ended up touching when it's all said and done and i i love you know i've i've used this line when i've written about it too but like that's one of the toughest guys in the nhl like you know we we think of toughness in terms of fighters and stuff but is there a more public fighter than that i mean that's yeah you know, i just don't feel like i could do it i i just i think we've all asked that ourselves that question through this, you know, I couldn't do what Chris did. A, I couldn't do it publicly. B, I just don't know if I could do it. Like, it's just, anyway, he, he, uh, man, and his best, one of his best buddies who spoke at the beginning, yeah. boy, did he, uh, you know, did he speak highly of this guy as a writer? And it's funny, I've never read, read anything that Chris Snow wrote back in the day. I could look it up, I'm sure, from the Boston Globe. But uh, then I love the little dig he threw, and he said, and he's been the, the second best writer in his family, his family for 18 yeah. years. Yeah. I love that. So anyway, uh, it was a beautiful send-off, and uh, uh, we won't forget him. That's for sure. Nope. And uh, again, I know that, you know, the the outpouring for the, the snows and, and for Kelsey and the, and the kids has been huge, but... Uh, that's that's the best that we uh, that's the best we can do now is just continue to support them and and I I like that you could tell how emotional it, well, on on Wednesday night uh, how emotional Kelsey was and again yeah being able to chat with Rye uh, in the intermission and be composed during that after wasn't that beautiful it was ridiculous it was it was so well done on both ends agreed and, and she was able to be composed on live television. After you know, bawling at center ice just a, an hour yeah. or so before, yeah, it was, uh, and the crowd got a chance, yeah, to, right. Think about yeah. that, people. That was their their chance to 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 wrap their arms around the family, 
Yep. You know, 18,000 people got a chance to do that by standing up and giving a prolonged uh, applause. You know, what's the latest you've seen the GoFundMe page at? Because I remember it was a very modest goal, and I think Kelsey needed to be talked into it. That, But 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 good on her friend for telling her, look, people want to help you. Let people help you. And I know that I I, I went on right away and, and, and made a, a donation, and I just was curious. This was like the first hour, and I just started looking through it, and I saw, I, I, I've never done this before in a GoFundMe page, but I wanted to see, I was curious as to who was donating, if there was yep. anybody else I knew, and it was writers around the league. I couldn't believe that. They, they must have seen it on Twitter right away and then immediately got on there and started giving money. Now, I could pro- you'd have to spend hours now to go and look at all the people who donated. The modest goal was 100000 It was like 62000 the first day. They're, I'm like, way, they're it's, way above 100 oh, now. Oh, it's going to. They're, they're going to shout. Uh, they're at 173800 U.S. dollars right now. I feel like that that's going to still grow significantly, yep. and as it should. And I encourage people to go to GoFundMe and, and help out the Snow family. Um, and all you got to do is uh, on Google, just type in Kelsey Snow GoFundMe. Bam, yep, it shows it up is. right there. It's called Help the Snow Family, but uh, you can type in either of those things on Google and uh, and go help them out. Or if you can't, if you if you can't help out financially, just good vibes, support, all of that. I think a lot of people sent those. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and and we'll continue to do so. Yeah. Uh, okay. As we wrap up. Uh, that was uh, really cool. I'm glad we got to talk about that for a few minutes. Um, what? To, give us one more. Well, not one more, but give us a. We we haven't talked about the pizza pickout in a little bit. What, oh, you, thank you. What, yeah. What's our date? And uh, tickets are now on sale. What are we talking yeah. about here? Uh, tickets are. I'm assuming we still have some left. Like I, I'm not trying to. It's not hyper hyperbole. It's uh, we will sell out every <clears throat> year. You do. Joey, Joey Chestnut will will speed that process up. He will be doing a four-minute or two-minute eating contest at the end. The GOAT, the greatest eater of all time. But what's really cool is we're going to auction off a chance to go have lunch with him. And I'm not suggesting he's going to put on a display there. I think he's going to eat, you know, a modest human. Yeah, a human portion. Uh, But we're going to auction that off at ericfrancispizzapigout.com. So keep your eyes open for that. I'll put it on Twitter, too. Uh, You know, four of us are going to go. And uh, have lunch and get to ask him all sorts of questions about this crazy career he's carved out. Talk about a crazy career path. Uh, Joey Chestnut has certainly carved out one of those. And uh, we're also going to auction off a chance to compete against him. Like, think about people pay like $100,000 to go to the Wayne Gretzky fantasy camp so that they can skate like in one game against Gretzky. This is a chance to go head-to-head with the greatest eater of all time. This is the great this is the great one, the the gastro great one. All the wives out there who say, "My god, you eat like a pig and you're one of the biggest, you know, eaters in the world. Why don't you buy it for your husband <laughs> and put him up there yeah. and have video for all your friends to prove there he is right next to one of the the biggest eaters in the world of of uh, eating." So, yeah, November 2nd is the date. And uh, there's no Flames game that night, so no conflicts. Yeah. Come on out, support Kidsport, and um, we're going to have a good time. We'll have about five, six, seven hundred pizzas there. I promise you, you'll walk away with a new pizzeria yeah. that you're going to want to visit many, many times. And you won't be hungry at the end of it either. Uh, Eric Francis, pizzapigout.com is the website. Safe travels. Uh, we'll do Thanks, it again bud. next week. Always a good time. Enjoy this uh, trip. This is going to be so revealing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really will. I, I really... I'm not going to say this is the most 
interested. I've been in a team, but I it's it's I think I'm more curious about this team than I have been about a lot of teams over the years. Yep. Because I don't and I love when I talked to Nikita Zadorov. He said, We don't know what we are. Boy, I've never heard that from a player in my life. Yep. I, I've never he said, Well, we'll see. And so let's see. He's Eric Francis, Pat Steinberg, and that'll do it for the Eric Francis Hour. This hour on Flamestock, the Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. Live thoroughbred racing is back every Saturday and Sunday at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. Post time, 1245. Visit thehorses.com. Must be 18 plus. Please play responsibly.